Medicare for all. Your bros can suck my balls. Fuck your reply, guys. Please don't fuck your reply, guys. Just listen to reply, guys. Hello and welcome back to Reply, guys. The leftist feminist comedy podcast for the rest of us. I am Kate Willett. And I am, as always, Julia Clare. You seemed a little confused about that this week. I am. Because I don't know who I am anymore. <laughs> I so, simply uh, don't. I'm so delirious. I am so tired. Um, But I'm actually, I'm very excited for this episode. I've been looking forward to this uh, a lot. So I'm I'm pumped and I'm here and I'm present. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this episode as well. We have such great listeners. So today we're going to answer some listener questions. But first, uh, but first, you know what else I was looking forward to, Julia? Tell me, Kate. The winter solstice. <laughs> um, I I made a whole day of it yesterday. I did a little uh, I did a little ritual with my roommate um, to celebrate the the solstice. Um, you did. We went outside shit. and this. I did did some witch. I mean, if you're going to do witch it one day a year, I recommend the solstice. A lot of people would go with Halloween, but which I know does have uh, some pagan origins. But I feel like the solstice, you know, it's the it's the shortest day of the year. Every almost every culture has decided to do some kind of celebration around that time, particularly things involving like light bringing in the light because the sun's coming back and uh yeah we had it we had a good time it was fun uh i had to uh lock my familiar spirits aka albert and pearl in my room so that they would not <laughs> knock over the candles um uh, you doing anything for the holidays this year i am i am renting a car and going to see my parents and i know that that's gonna I know that that's gonna upset some people uh but it's only my parents haven't seen anyone else it's just gonna be the three of us I have been I've not gone anywhere in two weeks um and I really haven't done much of anything for the 10 months before that uh <laughs> um so yeah and I get tested every 10 days for work anyways and i've just recently got two more tests and i i think i mean i think i don't think you should feel like you have to explain this to people i do i understand why yeah, you do i do yeah. i do and i you know my parents and i are going to be the only people that we see for christmas we're not obviously we're not going to any Sort of gatherings or anything like that but um yeah so but i haven't seen them in like m for most of this year so i just want to see my there's been a i just want to see my mom <laughs> yeah there, there there's definitely been a lot to uh talk about with your cop dad um, my cop dad that has happened this year look, i mean i've and believe me i've had those i've had the the phone conversations with him as we've discussed on the show um you know he he uh 
it's been a big year for for my dad, who both voted for Bernie Sanders and Ed Ed Markey, and told all of his friends to vote for Ed Markey. What a year for my my former cop dad. Ed Markey is a straight shooter. Straight shooter. So, he got the vaccine. Yeah. He got the vaccine this week. Uh, him and Senator Bernard Sanders. Uh, obviously, they would they would have gotten it anyways because of their age. Um, but it is it has been pretty fucking disheartening to see every Republican who called the coronavirus a hoax get the vaccine gleefully. Um, yeah, like yeah, fucking Marco it's, it's Rubio and Lindsey Graham. It's so frustrating. <sighs> I mean, OK, maybe in a way it's kind of good because maybe we'll convince some of their uh, followers their supporters. I don't know what do we call these people to take the <laughs> vaccine, but it's definitely really infuriating. Um, I mean, it's, you know, it's nice to have an end in sight to the pandemic. It's, I think I, t- I did the little New York times thing and it, I'm like, I'm in the last 20% of people to be vaccinated. Yeah. So I'm, I'm guessing, you know, sometime next fall, really potentially next summer, but you know, uh it's uh yeah it's it's nice to have uh some kind of <laughs> end inside to the social distancing even if it is through big pharma which is horrible i mean i think like you know i'm not trying to say anything nice about big pharma in a in a society <laughs> where we, we didn't you know, it, one of the main things that's going to be really hard about the vaccine is making sure that everyone gets it. And I feel like there's uh, going to be challenges yet to be determined um, for that. You know, um, ideally, we'd have like, you know, just it wouldn't be like uh, privately owned. Mm-hmm. And the the information would all be open source and everyone could just work on <laughs> making the vaccine, making different versions of the vaccines, maybe ones that don't need to be um kept as cold or something but you know cheers to cheers to the scientists who did all those all that work they're not bad they are not bad and yeah i was um as you you know as as i tend to do i was watching 60 minutes this sunday and the opening segment was about the development of the vaccine um and certainly it is hard for it's, you know, again, you you don't want to say anything good about big pharma, but I guess the one God, I I'm I'm putting so many qualifiers on it in my mind because I just don't want to say anything positive about these companies, but basically they were just like it seems like that they were willing to spend as much money as it took. And like, I guess that is the one benefit of them being disgustingly wealthy companies is that they were like, according to their higher ups, they were willing to like eat, eat a lot of money and lose to, to race to get the vaccine. I don't know how true that is, but well, because the the potential payoff is so much, right, you know, right. like it's not it's not altruistic, right? Of course, of course, yes, um, yeah. But a good episode of sixty minutes this week. It's a hot wreck. 
from me. I yeah. love 60 Minutes and <laughs> I don't care. I'm I know that I know that I'm the only person under the age of mm, 70 who regularly watches it and I know that because I of the commercials that come on during 60 Minutes which are all for like erectile dysfunction and incontinence and um metastatic breast cancer <laughs> talk about big pharma big pharma is alive and well in the 60 minutes commercials okay i have one more thing on the big pharma topic <laughs> before we answer listener questions um i don't really fuck with 60 minutes but i do fuck with teen vogue and teen vogue. they published oh my god an amazing they published an amazing article this week on uh the love life of the pharma bro Martin Scrawley. I saw you read it too. Oh yeah. Um, oh wait, no, that but, was that was L. Yeah. It was L. Okay, was L. I was all confused. Okay, well, I still like Teen Vogue, Teen but Vogue L is great. Kim, L has, Kim Kelly, former yeah. guest, wrote a great piece. I'll plug that. What the labor wants from what the labor movement wants from Joe Biden. Um, okay. Also very well, good. But yeah, Martin Scrawley. Go. I I read it. I'm horrified. <laughs> yeah, that was uh that was fucked up. So if you haven't read this piece yet. You know, I would say it's it's kind of sad. I mean, what happened was there was this woman, Christy Smith, who was covering Martin Screlly for Bloomberg. She started covering him, I think, when he was already in jail. And uh, she was uh, married and ended up um, falling in love with Martin Screlly, freezing her eggs, uh, divorcing her, her husband husband um and then when she went public with their relationship in this article martin screlly stopped talking to her and uh had her sent like when when they reached out to him for comment he uh his like pr person sent a note that said uh he wishes mrs smith the best <gasps> in all of her future endeavors which was that? ice cold so yeah fucked yeah oh exactly like like it's your high school teacher signing your yearbook or something have a good summer yeah don't um, ever change but, but this was wild because this story was like you know it it was like something that she wanted to do it was like something that she she brought to the press and then she was you know replying to people oh, on twitter and she has been like she has just been <laughs> She's been replying to a lot of people about Martin Shkreli for a while, which actually in the piece they said um, kind of caught the attention of her editors. Uh, and she was brought in and said and reprimanded and and they said, you know, this is not appropriate for you to be out here defending your subject like this, saying things like... <laughs> He's not 5'7", he's actually 5'10", <laughs> which is absolutely incredible. Um, he has short guy energy, though. He is definitely 5'7", and um, for those of you who attended our live show a million years ago, it seems, was that in January, December of last year? Um, I did have a PowerPoint presentation about, um, all of the chaotic bad men who are five, seven. 
and he is among my them. My dad's five seven. Yeah, I don't know your. My dad's five seven, yeah. but he's not chaotic. Okay, my dad is uh, my <laughs> my my dad is the opposite of chaotic. My dad is a very very mild mannered, polite person. I believe. I mean, I believe. I I don't. It's not. It's like a square and rectangle thing. It's like not all men who are five seven are bad, but all bad men seem to be five seven. I feel like uh, I feel like there's a couple tall bad men. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I haven't really all the, re- all the big ones are. You gotta you gotta wonder. Also, Elizabeth Holmes five seven. Is it like um? Isn't Trump like six one or six two? Yeah, he's like he's tall. He's like six two or six three. I think. Um, all right. So we got some pieces of shit of oh, variety. Oh, no, played. certainly. Again, it's a square rectangle thing. I am. I'm I'm convinced of this. The more, you know, the more important journalism that I do on this this topic, the more I am convinced. I guess I'm being a little defensive because should I one day become pregnant and give birth to a son? <laughs> decent chance he's going to be five seven. <laughs> I'm a little short woman, so even if I uh, even if I procreate with someone substantially taller than me, chances are. The best that my son can hope for is, is a solid 5'7", you know? But I don't know. I might not even have a son or a baby at all. I'm not sure. You and I, I have been thinking about that recently, that you and I do have a classic um, uh, uh, kind of villainous duo physical dynamic and that, like, I am uh, tall and you are small. <laughs> and you have, like... And I am constantly pressuring you to take over the world yeah and you (laughs) you know exactly and you're you kind of uh you steer the ship like you you have all the energy but i don't feel like that i feel i i I don't feel like i'm i don't feel like i'm steering anything but you know sometimes maybe we don't see ourselves accurately so i'm just trying (laughs) to transition it back to christy smith for a second oh sorry because no, I was just like, I wanted to like, I wanted to just get your reaction to this topic for a second, because to me, like this, this story, in a way, it was about Christy Smith, but in a way, it felt like it was uh, a parable about heterosexuality. <laughs> Did you feel that way? Certainly. Just like the way that like, I don't know, man, like the way that like women are often either are put in positions to you or choose to defend these fucking losers, you know? Well, yes. And, you know, Martin Shkreli has a long and storied history of harassing female journalists and being inappropriate with female journalists. But yeah, it does seem like this woman had a few screws loose and someone like him was just like primed to take over her life. Um, I mean, the very funny thing about this is that she was, she got some sort of like fellowship at the Columbia school of journalism. And they talk about this in the piece. And now she's saying, you know, what could I have done? They don't teach you about this in school. And everyone who's ever been to school for journalism is like, yeah, it's called journalistic ethics. And there's always at least a semester course on it. You absolutely do learn about that. But 
the whole, I mean, I really, if you haven't read the article, it's so gross and like, but gripping. So I do recommend it, but there's just a lot of horrifying one-liners and I just the way she even talks about him like she was showing the person writing the piece about her a picture of the two of them of of her and Martin Shkreli and she the quote was she said doesn't he look human here (laughs) like lady (laughs) I was okay I've never dated uh, Martin Shkreli or or any uh any farmer bros no, but I was fucking obsessed for like multiple years with this one um, open mic comedian who was not funny at all. Like he was not good at comedy. Also, the dude like hated me. And, you know, we weren't dating or anything. But like when he like talked to me, my heart would flutter and I just like my mouth would get all dry. And I was like so nervous and like. This guy was just like, he was so gross. He was grosser than the oatmeal guy by a lot. Um, <laughs> um, for so I for feel those like of I, you who don't understand the reference, please uh, please uh, rewind to last week's episode where we discussed yeah. the oatmeal guy in depth. But uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. I I, I mean, the, the, the nature of my attraction to him was like, I don't know how to explain it, except for I wanted to loan him money. Oh, you know? my God. She's <laughs> <laughs> like, ruin my life in some way, please. You know, so Ugh. I get it. I, I get it. Um, anyway. Anyways, ladies, uh, don't fuck Martin Shkreli. And don't, um, you know, don't don't fuck Martin Shkreli. Don't freeze your eggs for him. He doesn't deserve your eggs. Um. Should we jump into our listener questions here? We should. Um, I quickly tried to sort of reorder them in a way that made sense and didn't leave us ending on the heavier ones. But um, we will start out. First of all, thank you so much for everyone uh, to everyone who submitted questions. We really appreciate it. And you guys asked some good ones. Um and always feel free to send a message through our Patreon or DM us if you want us to address anything on the podcast or if you have any suggestions. We love to hear your feedback. So the first question is from Andrew, who said, for each of you, describe your perfect day, or if that's too difficult and personal, what is a joke you think we'll always get a laugh. I'll do the perfect day one. Yeah. So I think my perfect day, sleeping in, beautiful breakfast, probably making some love, uh, <laughs> going to some kind of outside thing with my friends, uh, seeing a bunch of people I like, um, and then maybe doing a really fun stand-up comedy show uh where there's lots of people in a real life audience um my covid perfect day obviously looks a little bit different um you know petting my cat uh eating five to six meals um Perfect. and still making some love okay yeah. wow <laughs> yeah making love how about you julia uh yeah yeah, I mean, in a non in a non COVID world, I assume for saying perfect day, it is it's 
it's in a non-COVID world, I think. Um, yeah, I think really well rested. Eat a leisurely breakfast. Drink as much coffee as I need. Um, just really mainline cold brew for most of the morning. A long walk on a nice day. Doing a good show. Being around friends. Like going, oh God, I miss going to a, I miss going to bars. I never, I, I didn't know what I had. I never thought that I would miss bars so much. And they are really integral to, I, certainly as comedians, they're integral to our lives. Um, because that's where most of our shows are. But, um, yeah. Oh, I mean, I love going, yeah, I, you know love going to the movies but yeah I do I do love like a long long walk outside um yeah I guess I mean what is it about my like repressed Catholic upbringing that is uh, <laughs> that is making me uh giving me pause about adding sex to that I guess because theoretically, I would say, yes, that would be a part of it. But I'm always like, no, I just had too many good things in one day. I don't deserve another good thing. <laughs> so you're more of like, you're, you, you want to get laid on, on um, a devastating day. Right. You know, just like, your life is like falling to pieces. Right. And then he, he comforts, he or she comforts you. Right. And, I mean, as, yeah. as the Lord intended. So... Yeah, I would and and as for per your second question, Andrew, um what is a joke that you will all, that you think will always get a laugh? That's an impossible question because humor is inherently subjective, so nothing will always get a laugh in every audience. Um I guess like a joke yeah. a joke that would make that always makes me laugh. I don't know that either off the top of the dome. I have some, um, I have some material that does pretty well. Most of the time. No, so do do I. So do I. Sometimes I'll get in like in front of conservative audience and they're like, fuck you, you slut. (laughs) You know, (laughs) that's what I'm saying. I, I, yeah. So, um, yeah, I think we did, we did a good, uh, a thorough answer of, of of those questions. Uh Kate, do you want to take take the second one? Yes, this question is from Charlie. My question is, how are things going in your comedy writing performance careers? Uh did Kate's appearance on that late night show lead to anything? Have you been able to work up new material for your respective stand-up acts for use in the aftertimes? Aside, it was super fun to recognize Julia on the Lolita podcast. So, um, thank you. By you the know, way, I Jamie Loftus's Lolita podcast was is very good. Everyone should listen to it. Oh, Jamie Loftus rules. She rocks. Um, so, uh, I I'll I'll answer it. So, I've been I've been working on a book all year, an audio book, and that is going to come out 
on February 18th, I think, on Audible. And I wrote a book about masculinity and it's kind of a it's kind of a comedy book and it's also um you know has has some more serious notes it's like a cross between an advice book and a memoir and um so yeah hopefully reply guys listeners will check that out um when i uh did that late night set right after it came out like i did like a i was able to like book a tour with that you know like um i was starting to headline some comedy clubs and stuff which was fun but then like midway through that tour um covid happened and then i went home and so i definitely haven't been able to like use that to like tour or anything because there are some comedians touring but like i don't want to get covid or give covid right. or whatever so i'm, I'm kind of chilling on the comedy but you know um yeah, I personally have kind of taken more of like a, a writing direction this year, but I have been doing some outside shows and, and stand up shows on Zoom. And um, I, yeah, I, I have like a I got a, like a quarantine 15, uh, 15 minutes about uh, the pandemic times. So it'll definitely be um, interesting to uh, get to try some of that material on the road or maybe different material on the yeah. road it's kind of i'm i'm curious about uh what it will look like stand up when it comes back in full force because we will have all been through something pretty similar you know not that not exactly the same but you know like uh will will there be an overflow of pandemic material probably, probably. you know not that there's only one thing to say about it but right that'll be uh that'll be interesting to see all right how about you julia um I have not been doing a lot of stand up. I've done a few Zoom shows um and some like Instagram live shows, but I have still been writing jokes um but I don't really know what to do with them as of right now. I Yeah, I've just been trying I guess I've just been trying to work on other projects um and also just survive and do my day job too <laughs> so <laughs> um yeah it's been interesting and it's been obviously it's been difficult for everyone but i i was a few weeks ago i was on that podcast Doug loves movies and i it was so fun and it just made me miss comedy so like just riffing with other people made me i mean i miss it so much i miss comedy a lot too it's definitely fun to podcast and go on other podcasts and stuff but It'll be so exciting when we can perform in front of an audience. I know. Again, if there are any venues left that have not been decimated uh, by the government's refusal to help venues. Which we we um, love that for them. We love that the government refuses to help. Um. <laughs> well, they are giving everyone $600, right. which seems like a small amount. But luckily, they're also they're sending it in a little card um i mean it's a handwritten 
check in an old person's handwriting and they're including a, a note with it that says buy yourself something nice yeah so we i love that um i think that's really nice yeah. and you know just like a yeah. cool what is it like 500 billion or something for israel <laughs> no 500 million rather not 500 billion buy your something buy yourself something real nice buy yourself some <laughs> real nice weapons um, buy yourself some nice drones um Oh, yeah. Okay. And also naval defense. There's a lot of naval defense spending in there. There's a lot of weird stuff. There's some stuff about copyright law. In- oh, yeah. Aren't they like, isn't there going to be like small claims court copyright or something? Yeah, it's like you can automatically be fined $30,000 for copyright infringement. Who is, I don't know. Anyways, that's really neither here nor there. Let's, uh, <laughs> the stimulus is coming and everyone's mad about it. <laughs> it's it's so bad it truly is an embarrassment to be an american um our government hates us and that is something that's an experience we can all share we are christy smith and the government is martin scrally that's objectively true yes exactly it is objectively true um Um, all right okay you want to do the next one sure uh this is from Andres, uh, hi. My question for Reply Guys is what have been your coping mechanisms during the pandemic in terms of dealing with loneliness and anxiety? Oh boy. Uh, well, Kate and I have both kind of shared our struggle with both of these issues. Um, Kate, in particular, has talked about her um anxiety certainly this year has been lonely as hell in a lot of different periods um i usually have roommates but i was completely alone for over a month in back in the summer and that was incredibly difficult luckily again that was back in the summer so i was able to kind of go meet up with friends outside um and things like that but it's it's been really hard and i think that the the normal mechanisms for reaching out because or or being around other people are not there so you have to kind of make an extra effort um like i i have been luckily i i have you know friends who are great and if i say hey do you want to talk on the phone or facetime i really have rediscovered my love of talking on the phone mostly because i'm so tired of looking at my own face and i just am ready to not look at my own face anymore (laughs) yeah i am uh i'm so sick of zoom um Loneliness and anxiety. I mean, it definitely helps to have like some things that we can still look forward to. Like I look forward to doing this podcast twice a week. Um, As Julia and I have uh, talked about extensively, we have adopted cats. We sure, Um, certainly we sure have. Yeah. Uh, And um, yeah, they, they help a lot. I mean... I, you know, I would say that the two things that have helped most with my loneliness and anxiety are probably uh, medicine 
Um, I am definitely on uh, anti-anxiety medicine, taking Prozac, uh, antidepressants, anti-anxiety for the first time, really, since I was like a, a teenager. Um, and that's definitely helped me. Um, I, I take a lot of walks with people. Mm. But the other thing that's really helped a lot that I feel really fortunate is that, you know, I've had a boyfriend during this time and he... Um, like during the kind of like March to June uh, super lockdown, he came and stayed with me for the entire time, um, which was really helpful. And I don't think I realized how like weird that was because everything else was so weird mm-hmm. at that time that I, someone I was dating for like a couple weeks and moved in with me. <laughs> um, but that, you know, that that helped a lot. And, you know, it's definitely... Um, it's it's been nice to to have a relationship during this time um it's been uh yeah i i also feel like i've you know tried to to get into some other hobbies that i can do inside i'm like way too good at cooking now um yeah i i I got a, a csa box with some vegetables and i'm like really 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 good at cooking now like I'm I'm only bragging about it because it's like a skill that I feel sort of even ashamed to have because <laughs> I'm like why am I this good at cooking I was a career woman you know but here I am in the kitchen but I don't She's know a career woman um, well this is you yeah, know this I, is for for your next chapter as a trad wife yeah exactly yeah but um you know I've been getting into more uh spiritual stuff again lately lots of meditation I don't know. I mean, right now I'm in like a I'm in a much better place, but I think that, that was only because I like really hit the bottom of um, loneliness and depression and anxiety yeah. like a month ago, and now I'm feeling a little better again. But I mean, I guess just like you know, kind of just being aware that this is like a really fucked up time and that this is not. It's not our fault that we feel this way. Yeah, and just kind of being kind and graceful to yourself about about that and not feeling guilty about feel or shame about feeling lonely and anxious. I mean, I, just like one actual coping mechanism I had for and still employ is going for walks. Um I for most of the the early pandemic the spring and summer, I would force myself to go for, I mean, I wouldn't always have to force myself. Sometimes I really did want to go, but going for really long walks was essential for me. Um, You know, it lowers your stress hormones, allows you time to think you're outside it's all good um so that's what i that's what i've been doing and that that in calling friends um i have been i was completely single for most of this quarantine and i am seeing someone now but that's another thing like it it is particularly hard on I know it's been hard on relationships, but there is an acute pain for for single folks, and I felt it for a lot of this year. Um, 
but yeah, having, having someone is undeniably nice. I can't, can't deny it. Can't deny it. Um, okay. I'm going to read the next question. This is a very interesting one that we are perhaps not qualified to answer, but you know what? That's never stopped us before. Um, (laughs) All right. The question from an anonymous listener is, how can I use humor to reverse radicalize the right-wing incels who come to me for therapy and psych meds? First of all, yikes. (laughs) Um, Yeah. It sounds like you must be a medical professional, in which case we would defer to you on a lot. However, I mean, I can't speak for Kate, but I've never had to personally de-radicalize someone. Um, Although I... There are actually kind of a, a decent amount of resources at your disposal if this is something you really want to look into. I mean, de-radicalization of the alt-right, especially the very online arm of the alt-right community, was kind of how Natalie Wynn um, rose to to prominence on YouTube. Um, the New Yorker did a good, good profile on her a few years ago called like the socialist trying to de-radicalize the alt-right. Um, and there are Reddit forums. I know from doing research about this question, there are Reddit forums called I used to be alt-right um, that might be instructive here. Um Natalie, I know that Natalie used to have a video called Debating the Alt-Right, but it was before her transition. So she has taken those videos down, but she has left the transcripts up on her website. Um, So you can still read everything that was said in the video. Um, And I will link that in the show notes. I I remember that, uh, that video being really informative and interesting. Um, but yes, there are resources available. There was also, I mean, you want to listen to, there was that Times podcast called Rabbit Hole that was kind of about one man's journey to the dark corners of the alt-right online and how he came back. And that might be instructive for you as well. But again, yeah, I mean, certainly I'm not qualified to... Natalie also has a great video on incels. If I mean, yeah, I don't know. Talia Lavin, who was on the show yeah. recently, she in her book uh, that just came out, Culture Warlords. She also has a bunch of stuff on incels. I mean, I would say like, so I don't know if I've ever uh, de radicalized anyone with humor. Probably not, but I I can say that you know performing in front of like conservative crowds. Um, what I used to do when performing was a thing, um, is I would always start with material that I think would 
be like more relatable to them, like kind of like establish a human connection first. And so I guess if I was going to try to use humor to like de-radicalize an incel, I would start with stuff that maybe we both think is funny. Like maybe if there's something that has nothing to do with being an incel that you do have any kind of common ground on. Maybe you both think Joe Biden sucks or something like that. And you could like make fun of him or, you know, um, yeah, just stuff that has nothing to do with the things that, um, you know, are, are fucked up, but just like something that you can laugh about together um, as a way of kind of establishing rapport and trust. I don't really know anything about de-radicalization except from like some of the people that we've had on the podcast, like talking about um, de-radicalizing QAnon people. And I've also watched a lot of cult documentaries this year. Um, and it seems like one thing that kind of keeps coming up um, in the cult documentaries uh, is like about the importance of... Um, you know, kind of getting to like what the the like underlying fears are, like not maybe starting with like uh not maybe starting with like, you know, exactly like why they're doing the incel shit, but you know, maybe like what is uh you know loneliness, deep loneliness, like that's something that a lot of people can relate to. I, I definitely can relate to it and you know, maybe if like, even if like the expression of what those feelings are in like the incel way is like abhorrent to you, maybe there's something about like um, the emotional experience pre-action that you can identify with and joke around about that. And like, then maybe, you know, once they uh, start to kind of get that you understand things about them as a person then maybe it's easier to have the the conversation about um you know what they what they need to stop doing the stuff that's fucked up i don't know that's that's my hit off yeah that's you know that's a really difficult one i do understand why the question is being asked particularly about the using humor to de-radicalize because as i've learned from reading about how people get radicalized in the alt-right sphere, a lot of it, I mean, a lot of these people get radicalized because of quote-unquote humor, things they find, like shit posting they find funny. Um, so, but yeah. Um, Godspeed and good luck to you. Uh, Thanks for doing the good work. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. That is really, that seems incredibly, incredibly challenging. It's a, it's, it's a tough one. We, we appreciate, and we appreciate you listening to our <laughs> silly little podcast. Um, so the next question is from Fresh Poetic. The, that's their username. Uh, one of our, our loyal patrons. Uh, who are your favorite YouTubers? I have a lot of them. So, Kate, I'll let you go first in case you, because I, I, for whatever reason, kind of stumbled upon YouTube like 10 years ago and just have been, I watch a lot of YouTube. Um, I don't really watch that much YouTube. Um, I, 
I do watch ContraPoints. I watch almost everything that she does. Um, and I also, uh, this is like a weird one that has nothing to do with politics. I watch this lady named Thais Gibson a lot. Um, and she has videos about attachment styles that I think are super useful um, when thinking about relationships. I used to watch Rising a lot um, during the primary season, but uh, post post primary uh definitely a little bit uh more than off put about um you know the fact that like Sagar is a fascist um that seems weird yeah. and so i don't really watch that one anymore but um yeah i don't know i mean i i do know that the the, the kids these days are on uh tiktok and twitch and so i feel like i should start you know watching more stuff there um, too, because I know there's there's a lot of really great stuff that is um, going on. But yeah, I mean, I guess those two would be my favorites. I'm not I'm not a big uh, YouTube watcher in general. I I did include so I'm gonna we're gonna link to all of these channels in the in the show notes as well. Um, I do watch some. I, I watch a decent amount of Left Tube also known as BreadTube, um, which is just like a lot of leftists who have YouTube channels. Um, ContraPoints, who we, we've we mentioned several times. Uh, I love I love what she does. Um, Cat Black, who is an awesome um, trans leftist YouTuber who also does these really cool, like, Sometimes she'll do DIYs where she just makes her own clothes. Very cool. Um, T1J, who is talks a lot about, like, he is a black leftist YouTuber. He, I just have found so many of his videos really compelling. Um, he has a great one about why he stopped idolizing Sam Harris um yeah but i i love i just i love most of what he puts out maggie mayfish who we had on uh, a patreon episode does film analysis kind of from a lefty perspective which is very cool i love youtube channels about film analysis too so these uh these ones don't have the next two don't have anything to do with politics be Kind Rewind uh, is a great, great, a perfect channel basically looking at kind of Hollywood actresses from different points in American history and kind of using the way that they were treated or kind of approached their own career as a a lens through which to analyze the time and the larger themes. Very good channel. I'm not doing the description of a justice. And the other one I really like is um, lessons from the screenplay. Uh, and the host is Michael Tucker. He does really kind of zoomed in analyses of different films and how they achieve what they achieve. Uh, so like he just did one about how a Christmas Carol is a perfect 
has perfect five act story structure. And if you're not, oh, cool! It's very cool. And um, yeah, there's just there's a lot of he did a really cool one on Gone Girl. Um, oh, he did he did a comparison of. Black Swan and Whiplash as like an analysis of creative genius and um, mental breakdowns. Very, very cool. Very cool guy. Really smart. Always love to watch. And his videos are are really compelling too. Again, I'm I'm not doing them justice. But yeah, those are the ones that I... And then I also... I'm not going to include these, but I do watch a lot of... dermatologist youtube channels because i you know the hot trad wife podcast girls in the in our industry have perfect skin and i want it yes they do i was thinking about that that's yeah no it's true i mean i guess you know it's very trad to moisturize it's so trad i got some moisturizer today i i'm feeling better and i decided i'm gonna moisturize again um you deserve all right i'm gonna go go on to the next question um from rondon what issue do you think is most important for leftists right now seeing a lot of disagreement on twitter figure you excellent ladies would have some takes um, I think this year there's been a lot of energy and action around police and prison abolition. And I think that that's really, really important, not just from like, not just from a perspective of, you know, like that's where there's a lot of energy is, but also it's just it's morally extremely important and i just fully have not um understood the leftists who you know i've seen people on twitter or on podcasts or whatever like portraying this as like it's some kind of lib issue that's fucked up like the reason um that the prison and police system is the way it is is because of capitalism and um it's extremely relevant to to everything that a leftist should care about and also there's like probably no one more oppressed in our entire society than people who are in prison right now um and whatever we want to do as leftists um is infinitely harder uh you know with the police situation being what it is so defunding and abolishing the police abolishing prison um i also think you know Medicare for all is really important. Um, I mean, we are in a pandemic. Healthcare is going to be extremely important. Um, and beyond that, uh, Prop 22, I think, unfortunately, um, shows kind of where where we're headed from a labor perspective, which is that more and more companies are going to be writing their own labor regulations and um, trying to classify everyone as an independent contractor and um you know labor issues yeah always extremely important but going to be especially important now and this is a really big battle that leftists are gonna have to fight 
Um, so I would say those are my top three at this moment. How about you? Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think labor organizing around. I think we need like a full fledged renaissance of the labor movement, and there have been some dribs and drabs of that happening um, incrementally, which is great to see. And I think. I think the tie, the public opinion, the tide of public opinion on unions has certainly turned from when I was growing up. Um, because I think, I, I don't know, I, I think unions are seen a lot more positively again. Um, just because uh, this era of capitalism has become so much more exploitative um, and unions are. N- are really, you know, it's shown how necessary unions are. I also think, I mean, I think that the environmental issues and climate change overlap with labor, certainly, and they overlap with racial justice. Um, Because as we know, the communities that have a lot of, you know, toxic waste dumped near them, a lot of really poor air quality and water quality look no further than Flint, Michigan are disproportionately um communities of color, specifically black communities. Um so I think that's going to be a really and I think that, that is you know was it Natalie Sure who said who said this that she thinks that environmental issues are going to be the place where we can we can see some some gain even in a Biden administration I I agree I agree with that he tweeted something the other day that was basically he was like I believe when when I think of climate change addressing climate change I think of strong union jobs and he went on and I was just like this is you're just this is the green new deal just support the green new deal yeah yeah I mean he's he's not gonna do no that, I, I know I know he, I know he's not yeah but I do think I I can see more inroads for for something like the green new deal or something moving forward for us and and definitely as Kate said, I, I think we have to keep keep our feet on foot on the gas for for racial justice and defunding the police and I mean also resource what reallocation. I was say, housing. Housing housing. Yeah. Which which you've been really like on you know, you've been working on housing for a long, long time, but I mean, there is gonna be I mean, there's already uh, hundreds of thousands, yeah. maybe millions of people losing their homes as a result of this pandemic. And I don't think we even know fully what it looks like when everyone's credit score is just completely fucking shot, yeah. demolished. Is, is you know, can, is it, what does it look like when it's like, um, you know, when just credit scores, evictions, I mean, probably, you know, in a way, probably similar to now in the sense that like it's extremely hard to get housing if you have previous evictions and 
a super low credit score, but what does it look like when so many people are in that position? Um, I don't know, you know, um, but it, 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 yeah, I mean, the hit that people have taken financially this year is just like, I don't, I don't think we even understand. I mean, we have the full literal, of that. literal bread lines. Yeah. You know, it's, it is dire. And I think, I, I do think that the distillation of what I'm trying to say is that what leftists need to, f- I, in my dream world, I think leftists should focus on people's material concerns in like the most basic level. This We are heading into, again, food, shelter being just really scarce for people because of the conditions uh, that our government has imposed on us um so organizing i mean yeah i also want to say immigration um the way that um undocumented people and asylum seekers are going to be treated under our biden administration is not going to be much better whatsoever than the sadistic way that Trump has treated those folks. But people are going to stop paying attention to it um, because, you know, there's not going to be the resistance out there talking about kids in cages. People are going to just assume that uh, it's going fine. Same thing with foreign policy. I mean, people pay attention to what Trump is doing. But, I mean, in many ways, Trump's foreign policy was actually... Uh, less hawkish than you know other than maybe clinton's would have been um definitely definitely less hawkish than than george w bush of course but like biden because he's a democrat is going to be able to get away with lots of shit um without people paying attention yeah i mean trump almost completely hollowed out the state department so that's part of the reason why our foreign policy was defanged uh in a lot of reasons for a lot of reasons um in a lot of ways i mean yeah but i don't know certainly everyone needs to keep paying attention and you know it's not going to be a lot of the the splashy moves like trump the trump administration leaving the iran deal or the paris climate accords but we're gonna need to be kind of just as vigilant about it because i mean i i do think that a biden administration is going to restaff the state department and that's good we need more diplomats than we do uh people in the pentagon (laughs) like all i mean yeah it it depends but those people definitely often have a a pro-war um extractive agenda as well well i mean but also i mean that's also been a function of the fact that for the last 30 plus years the state department's funding has been eroded in service of the pentagon so it's like that's kind of the predetermined outcome is that it's going to like war first talk later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, in any case, I, I think what we can say for sure is that, um, 
there's going to be a lot of people paying a lot less attention and that any any resistance to a Biden administration from the left uh, is not going to include the resistance. I said resistance too many times in that session, but these people are these people are going to check out. There might be some there might be some good things about that. But, yeah, I um, I mean I don't think anyone lis- who listens to our podcast is is checking out. Probably no, uh, probably not. But anyway, um, all right, let's do this next question. Um, so this one was for for Julia mostly, so I'll read it on Twitter. This is from David B. On Twitter, Julia mentioned Tame Impala's "The Slow Rush" album as one of her favorites of the year. What are a couple of other albums she and Kate was a huge fan of this year? All right, I'll go. I'll go first. Um, I did like the Slow Rush came out in January. I do like Tim and Paula. Um, my favorite albums of the year: Phoebe Bridgers' Punisher, Fleet Foxes, Shore, uh, Soccer Mommy, her album Color Theory, um, and Fiona Apple's Fetch the Bolt Cutters. Just it was a good year for music. Um, you know, among amidst everything else. Um, yeah. What about you, Kate? I listened to almost no music this year, to be honest with you, because I usually listen to music when I was like taking the train. Yeah, and back and forth from places, and I was just like in my house most of the year. But I, so I didn't really, uh, I didn't listen to a lot of music, but I did watch a lot of films this year. Um, I feel like much more, uh, much more versed in like what's up with films uh, than I was um, before this. I, so I'll I'll do some films. Yeah, which I know it wasn't your question, but um, there's this this uh movie called under the shadow which was really good um the guatemalan version of la llorona i watched recently and that was just absolutely great um i went on a little spree with uh yorgos lanthimos i watched the lobster uh killing of a sacred deer and the favorite um and those three watched together are it's you know, that's I didn't a, that's love a the lobster that's, alone. That's pretty heavy. Yeah, I didn't watch the lobster. I didn't like love the lobster when I watched alone, but kind of watching it um, in light of the other two was was a really interesting thing to do. Uh, got kind of into Taika Waititi this year, and I uh, I watched Jojo Rabbit, which was really good. But I liked um, the Hunt for the Wilder People even better. That was such a sweet, sweet, funny. Um, funny movie and i went on a little bit of a i just watched uh what we do in the shadows his i don't know if that was his first movie but it's the one that kind of uh made him famous i think uh yeah yeah and i just watched that for the first time this fall and i loved it it was so funny um i will say just have never seen a movie with less women in it that wasn't a war movie but (laughs) other than that very very funny i laughed a lot um yeah yeah i mean this was just i feel like a lot of the a lot of the the 
art that I consumed this year, other than like maybe podcasts, was actually made in other years. Just because yeah. I feel like there wasn't like a ton of stuff made this year movie wise. Um, you know, I know that they're still like they're still filming stuff. Um but yeah, I listened to I listened to a lot of podcasts. Um I listened to a lot of uh a lot of citations needed. Um I listened uh to Oh, there's a, a Buddhist podcast that I listen to um, a lot called Dharma Punks, which is as good has been kind of getting me through this year. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm excited to get back into music next year. Um, and uh, let me see. I'm trying to think if I have any like last recommendations. Oh, Philosophize This is a podcast I got into this year, which was really fun, um, which is like kind of bite-sized uh, di- digestions of like you know major philosophical works and that was a fun thing to listen to while cooking uh, especially when I needed to get my mind off politics yeah I, I feel like I experienced what you experienced with music with podcasts where I completely fell off podcasts because I wasn't commuting to work anymore and also I just kind of became overwhelmed and couldn't I, I I couldn't listen to political podcasts for the most part anymore one I will full-throatedly recommend um came out at the very beginning of the year before the pandemic um Jamie Loftus her series it's a it's a four episode um series called My Year in Mensa and it kind of is exactly what it sounds like and it delves into the troubled and racist history of IQ societies. Um, It's really great. It's very thoroughly researched and engaging and funny. And it also deals with her, with Jamie's specific batshit experience with Mensa and attending the like Mensa annual gathering last year um yeah i really recommend that one so i think we have reached our final question we're it's gonna be a long one this this week uh, <laughs> um so our final question is from Corey, who said hey i have a question for the pod what are your thoughts on trump slash conservatives promoting parentheses seemingly underqualified and traditionally attractive women to high positions in the White House parentheses Ivanka, Hope Hicks, Kaylee McEnany all come to mind. And is there any way to criticize this practice without it devolving completely into misogynistic rhetoric? This is a good one. This is I've thought about this a lot. Um I think that Republicans and the Trump administration specifically used women, but particularly attractive women, as a shield. Um, you know, that's why you had, like, Sarah Huckabee Sanders as press secretary. Any criticism of her, because she, obviously she's so terrible, and any criticism of her was hilariously... um countered with charges of sexism from the Trump administration. But 
really, it's it's clear to me that the the Trump administration just viewed these women as props and as set dressing for you know to do their bidding. I guess um, I I think for the way to criticize it is kind of identifying exactly what it is, which is a kind of tokenism and again, a shield. Um, And I guess the way to circumvent misogynistic rhetoric is just not, I don't know, not comment on their looks I think what you say specifically is that you're really tired of uh, Trump appointing all these dumb bitches. Yeah. Uh, now, I'm I'm just kidding. That would be misogynistic. I don't know. I don't think that there's anything misogynistic about saying that Trump seems to place an inordinate uh, amount of importance on yeah. women's physical appearance. That's what he does. He does. He talks about that all I the know, time. It's, it's I, really, it's almost like yeah. it's not even up for debate. It's yeah. Um, you know, I don't, I mean, like, I don't think that it's really like a good idea to, to criticize the physical appearance of, of anyone really like, you know, when what you're criticizing for real is there like, morality and their actions but i mean i don't think that like saying that you know trump is is giving too much weight to women's looks um is that i don't think that's misogynistic at all no i mean i think the republican party writ large their female stars are quote-unquote are Tradition, yeah, they're babes. They're babes. They're traditionally attractive <laughs> women. Um, and I, again, I think that that is really in keeping with what conservatism prizes about women, which is how they look rather than their qualifications or anything else. I, it's just not an accident. It's exactly, it's exactly in keeping with their belief that women are to be looked at. <laughs> I mean, I, I get this fear, though, because, you know, at the beginning of the Trump administration, it, there was, like, uh, Ivanka and Kellyanne Conway, and there was, like, a, a few other... I think Kaylee McEnany was a surrogate, um, but she wasn't his uh, press secretary yet, but... Like, I found myself thinking, like, what is the right way to say that, like, Trump is going for some kind of uh, conservative Barbie thing? And I had that. Well, I had that fear, too, of, like, not wanting to be, like, perceived as, like, saying that there was a right way to the women should look. Yeah, I mean, Fox News is the same way. And obviously, Trump, the Trump administration is just kind of an extension of (laughs) the Fox News universe. And it seems like on Fox News, like, brunettes are banned (laughs) it's just all really kind of plastic looking blondes and again it's just like they want they want these women to be a mouthpiece and to be looked at and that's kind of they but they don't want them to have their own thoughts so i don't know i 
I understand what your what your question is, but I say go in on on these these women because they're all terrible and you're not it's it's not misogynistic to say so. <laughs> Absolutely. Um all right, so that brings us to the end of our episode this week. Um and also the end of our episodes for 2020 we are going to be back the first week of january um if you miss us please check out our patreon content we have so many episodes um in the patreon we just recorded a great one this week with francesca fiorentini and uh we just really appreciate you for listening to the show thank you so much and we wish you a happy holidays because uh merry christmas is is banned now. Uh, war war yeah, on Christmas. We, have, you know, we banned it ourselves. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, we're going to be, you know, we're going to be fighting the war on Christmas <laughs> this week. That's why we're taking the time off um, so we can go into battle. Um, but uh, have a happy new year and, uh, and we'll see you next year. Thank you so much for listening to Reply, guys. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find us. Uh, the show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Julia Clare. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song was performed by Emily Fremgen, who wrote the song with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's. And I'm at OJuliaTweets, O-H julia tweets and twitter is where you can also find our reply guys they are always with us bernie take us out as i went walking that ribbon of highway i saw above me that endless skyway I saw below me that golden valley. This land was made for you and me. This land is your land.